We are very encouraged to hear what God is doing through City Life to change lives. If you have a story to share of how City Life has impacted you, please let us know at story at citylifecenter.org. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. Our desire is to make Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Past several days have been a little bit of a stretch for our family. Uh, it's where I kind of lose track of what day it is. <clears throat> As I've been sharing with you guys recently, uh, um, it's apparent and it's, it's very obvious, plus hospice is saying this as well. They made it clear that Rebecca, my wife Rebecca's mother, has very little time left on this earth. And uh, <clears throat> she's, Olga has fought cancer for almost 20 years and her body's shutting down at this point. Rebecca, has, she's, she's been beside her mother all week long in uh, New Braunfels, and that's where she is right now. Uh, my, my sons Preston, Devin, and Ian, um, they came down Friday to spend some time with a grandmother, and we've sung songs together, We've prayed together, we've told stories, and also we've uh, <clears throat> listened to these brief descriptions, sometimes in Spanish and sometimes in English, of Olga brushing with eternity, what she's he- hearing, seeing, and even smelling. <laughs> wow. She's getting glimpses of the other side, and, and she, uh, she, <laughs> she told <laughs> She told us on Sunday night when Rebecca and I got there this last week, she says, I just want to be with Jesus. But then she says, but those angels won't let me in yet. <laughs> but, but this is all happening the way it should be. Um, families together. We're loving one another and we're caring for one another. And I just look at all this as I've experienced been in and out of New Braunfels all week. Uh, I'm just, we're just blessed. I'm glad for that. And, and, but I'd say it's partially because <clears throat> Olga and her husband, Mario, made choices regarding their marriage and their legacy from the very beginning. And today, I'm, I'm doing something I've never done before. In all my years of preaching, I've never dedicated a message to anyone. But today, I dedicate this message to my in-laws, Mario and Olga Guajardo, um, people that mean a lot to me. And um, it's really, in many ways, built around, this message is built around the truths that I've seen from their marriage, although I didn't write it for them, even with them in mind when I originally put this together. But I dedicate it to them because they've lived this Today's message is entitled, Marriage Matters. A lot of times we think about marriage as being like a, uh, an unchanging, static institution, but it's not. Uh, throughout history, the roles that have been played by husbands and wives have actually been transformed, and those roles continue to transform. Along with that, uh, people's general expectations regarding marriage, that continues to transform. 
So just look at it this way. This is, this is truth. Your grandparents had an extremely different view of marriage than you do. Uh, they may have lived right here in the United States. They may have even lived right here in this very city. I even think about that with Olga. She lived right here and was raised right here in Fort Worth, worked over at Montgomery Ward, where Montgomery Plaza is now, and reminded me about a year ago that she held the record as the fascist, fastest cashier in the Montgomery Ward. <laughs> you know, I don't know what they did back then. But the culture that shaped their world, it actually structured their relationships different than today's culture. So your grandparents survived a very different society and they built their homes and they built their families according to different norms. Even like, like your great-grandparents, they would have lived and worked and died in a culture that you wouldn't even recognize. See, culture always has the greatest impact, though, on marriage. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. First of all, I, w I want to define culture. What, you know, what, is, what is it? What is culture? One time I said it recently, and someone said, that was a great sermon about culture, but can I ask you a question? What is culture? I don't want to be dumb, but what does it mean? It's like, well, you're not dumb. Uh, next time I may need to define it. I'm just going to kind of give you a broad definition of culture. Real, basically, it is this integrated system of beliefs or traditions or values, uh, technologies and customs and products and ideas that constitute the life of a people. Basically, culture is how we make sense of the world around us. It, it helps us to determine the most efficient and effective strategies to deal with the realities of life. That's what culture is, and that's what it does. Now, as a microculture, like even within city life, we've identified a, you know, our unique culture among us, and, and, and it's, it's not something we try to have to force or, or to do. It just actually flows naturally around here. And city life's culture, you know, very quickly, it, it's summed up with five words. We've discovered that it's about authenticity, warmth, energy, happiness, and servanthood. So that's, that's really what you experience around here. And if you look at that, you go, yeah, I mean, that, that is what I sense here. But, but you see, so city life, though, we are a subculture within a more large city culture and Christian culture. You see? Our city has wonderful culture. In fact, I love the cultural diversity of Fort Worth. Don't you? I love it. It's a beautiful city. And here in the city, we have these, these varieties of these ethnic traditions, and there are these different vibes according to wherever you hang out or go, and, and, uh, and, uh, and along with different uh, customs and traditions and styles. It's, I, I, I love it. But you can drive 45 minutes out of here, you know, like straight west or maybe even straight north or straight south, 45 minutes from this building, and you will find most likely other cultures that are much more homogeneous. These, these are cultures where people tend to think alike, act alike, and they talk alike. See, regardless of whether you live in the multicultural heart of the city or you live in a small rural community, the truth is, is that culture is rapidly redefining and changing. Uh, but, but within this context, 
which is the context of the rapid uh, uh, redefinition of culture, the, we have the issue of relationships between husbands and wives that is also being redefined. And so, so th- thus, we have the challenge. Um, for example, what was considered extreme in 1970, today, most people would just consider it to be normal. Um, what might have been considered to be outlandish or even illegal now would even seem to be ordinary. See, the evolving culture tries to convince us that, uh, that, that the new norm is the solution for your troubles. And, and many times it is, but sometimes it's not. But assuming that the culture is always giving us the right message, that actually creates a problem. Now, even though the culture is changing, the truth is, the hearts and the minds of men and women, it's not so malleable. It doesn't change like that. Societal values can change, but our souls, which are engineered by God, and I'm talking about this in our uh, changing, Craving Change series, our souls are not so easily altered. See, like it or not, our hearts and our minds are actually hardwired. See, society can change the programming. Uh, society can even install a whole new operating system. But it can't change the circuitry because that was placed there by God. So even if the culture says, hey, don't worry, you can do this, you can do that, it's all going to be okay, new cultural norms that say that are doomed to fail if they are not congruent with our own internal sense of right and wrong. There's a couple of people who've done a lot of research on this. These, uh, there's one is a historian. His name is, her name is Stephanie Kuntz. And a so, uh, sociologist by the name of Andrew J. Cherlin, two different individuals really have decided to take it upon themselves uh, to, to answer a really challenging question. They've, they've actually written extensively about marriage and about history and about culture. That's, that's both of them. That's what they like to do. Uh, but both of them have basically tried to answer this question and, and, and stated best it would be, why are we as a society marrying and divorcing more? And the answer that basically comes about from their writings is this. Is, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this is a historian. These are historians and sociologists, okay? I'm not talking about some, some preacher made up in his head, okay? They're saying this. 21st century American attitudes toward marriage and divorce have changed. And they say they have changed because the culture in our nation have changed. And this, this remarkable transformation of culture has been recently occurring at a pace unlike any time in history. Not just American history, but history of the world. So then, think about this. Here we are in the heart of a large culture-creating city, but we've been placed here by God. At the same time, we have to try to make sense of it all. And it's tough. Let's just, let's just admit it. It's, it's tough. Here are some of the things they discovered. Uh, they discovered this, is that in the early days of America, uh, when, when most families were built around small farming communities, uh, uh, marriage was actually considered an essential institution. Divorce at that time, I mean, almost unheard of. Honestly, people didn't necessarily marry for love in those days. It was more about raising a family, 
uh, having a family, bearing children and provision. It was about shelter. It was about protection from the violent realities of life. Uh, strong emotional connections were not even considered quite often. They didn't consider it essential. I discovered this about my own family when my grandfather remarried after his wife passed away. He remarried a few weeks later, and it was just a nice lady in town. But they both needed to survive. She had just lost her husband. He just lost her wife. They said, we got to figure this out because times are tough and we live out here in the woods, you know. So from the Industrial Revolution up until about World War II, we, we experienced another time. There's another culture shift that happened during this time. Sociologists, historians are saying that because of newfound freedoms, primarily women began to step out and say, hey, I don't want just protection and provision. I would like some affection and some companionship. Uh, so, so people then, uh, as a society, began to view marriage as a way to find love and experience sexual fulfillment. Simply put, couples began marrying for reasons of the heart during that time period. That was the era when uh, my parents and Rebecca's parents were, were raised and married, and I love hearing their stories of their romantic interactions. And, and uh, Rebecca's dad, Mario, and her mother, Olga, they were married in 1955, just like my parents. And, and, and uh, they entered into marriage for reasons and with expectations that are not really a part of today's culture. I've heard their stories. See, in the 1960s, this radical culture shift began to occur again, and, and this was from a series of, of just multifaceted shifts. not going to get into all of that, but, but as these various revolutions continued to unfold, Americans' general view of marriage began to evolve away from the romantic. Uh, which was this. It's boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love, boy and girl get married, they live happily ever after. We used to sing a little song when I was a kid, like, like you know, they would say, Timmy and Kimmy, because there's this girl that I liked, her name is Kimmy, and they thought it was cute. Timmy and Kimmy, sitting in a tree, remember K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Okay, we're going to stop right there. But things evolved then into this self-expressive approach. See, marriage began rapidly evolving into where people began striving for each partner to discover who they really are through the institution of marriage, which takes us to today. So basically, 21st century, uh, a marriage culture, according to sociologists and historians, it's me-based. See, today, marriage partners are on a mission for self-definition. Self They're on this journey, on this pathway toward, toward self-actualization. Therefore, marriage today is predominantly self-centered and me-based in our culture. Now, this is one of the reasons why the sociologists say that the divorce rates are skyrocketing. I, I probably agree with that. They, they've done their research. But because of this societal shift, the culturally acceptable goals for marriage today are now, according to them, basically three things. The goals are get married for personal growth, get married for individual satisfaction, and get married for self-gratification. Now, provision, Security and even love 
according to the research, are no longer the top goals in marriages in America as a whole today. And this is the culture we live in, and some of you are going, yes, and some of you are going, wow. See, but today's self-expressive marriage, it's really, it says it's, it's all about what I want. It's all about what I need and, and how I can become more fulfilled and I need to be complete and I need to feel a certain way. Therefore, I'm going to get married. It's going to help me out. But I'm telling you guys, there's actually a problem with this approach and I want to expose some flaws here because marriage is what I call an empathic union. All right, now you guys have to do me, give me some feedback there. That doesn't say empathetic, it's just empathic. Can, can you say empathic with me? Say empathic union. Okay, great, now you've said it. See, this is where the needs of one person are felt by the other. See, marriage can't be a discovery of one's true self. I'll just be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I've heard couples say, you know, well, we've just grown apart and, and, uh, and, He'll say, she doesn't understand me anymore, or, or he doesn't meet my needs anymore. Guys, really, I would say the greatest threat to marriage today is selfishness spurred on by our culture that we're in the middle of. <laughs> See, because being self-absorbed and self-centered is kind of the way society is. No, it's kind of, it really is. And that's no way to build a team, and it's no way to build a marriage. The self expressive, me-based marriage is actually a recipe for midlife crisis, if you would like to have that. <laughs> and it will lead you to even greater crises of identity in your life. It doesn't make things better. It will make things actually more, worse and more challenging and most likely. That's just the truth. Why? It's because husbands and wives begin to convince themselves that self-actualization is most important than commitment. It's more important than commitment within the marriage. They wrongly believe that self-gratification is the goal from the marriage, and so they, they seek self-satisfaction instead of mutual satisfaction, and that's actually where everything goes wrong. According to the sociologists, this is what causes the marriages to crumble. Now, hear me well. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming you. I'm not criticizing you or anyone. What I'm doing is I'm attempting to alert us to a reality that the general American culture that most of us have been raised in has led us to a dark place regarding marriage. And here we are. Some of you have felt the effects of it and the impact of it. In fact, most of you have. Truth is, as a pastor, I found over and over and over that, that couples are really focusing on the wrong things. They're focusing on themselves as individuals and they want to express themselves through the marriage, but they're finding that that doesn't work. And some of you, this is shocking. They're saying, isn't that supposed to be the way that works? Well, that's what culture is telling you, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Maybe you've been married for a while and maybe you've been through a divorce or a couple of divorces. You know what I'm talking about. You understand this. See, they're focusing on themselves as individuals instead of focusing on themselves as part of an indivisible union. Now, for, I, I just be really honest with you, I'm not better than anyone, but I was actually really blessed because my parents were very grounded in a more, I would say, in a more biblical, uh, transcultural view of marriage. So in the 60s and the 70s, they pointed out to me as, as a child, special, well, in the 70s, they, I wouldn't have understood much they said in the 60s, but they pointed out to me as I was growing up that this new cultural redefinition of marriage was built on a shaky foundation and it was going to cause a lot of problems in the future. I remember them talking to me about it and saying, this is what the culture is beginning to say. This is the truth. So, so please choose the truth. I mean, instill that in me, a kid. 
So, for example, when, when Rebecca and I were married, I already had it in my heart, and so we verbalized, to this, we verbalized this to each other. And I tell you, if you've not, if you've not yet been married or you're planning to get married, or maybe if you're married, just this is a good thing to do. We verbalized, we said this, that no matter what would happen in our lives, we will never speak the word divorce. We simply said, it's not an option. Um, now, I know some of you guys say, well, that's challenging. Just listen, okay? We're, and we're not going to even say it in a moment of anger. Now, I know it's logical to throw in a lot of, well, what if, or what if, or what if. But I'll tell you the truth. That commitment to an indivisible union has carried Rebecca and me through some very, very challenging times. We've committed to each other that we will only be separated by death. And that takes work. I was just blessed to have parents train me in this since I was a little kid. You see, the evolution of, of, of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff that's out there now, it actually encourages us to value something different. It, it values image. It values that the values of, of, of us should be about party over responsibility. It, it tells us that we should have fun above maturity. It tells us that we should have self-expression above humility or pleasure above commitment. Now, I'm saying those things really aren't bad in and of themselves, but they are really destructive when they are valued too highly. I've often found that, that couples seem a lot of anxious, seem really anxious to receive the benefits that marriage, they feel marriage is going to bring to them uh, from the permanent relationships such as happiness or security or love and sex and companionship. They're really eager to get that. But I've also found that they're often very unwilling to make the personal sacrifices required to reap the benefits long term in their lives. And in the marriage, really what's required is something that's called total commitment. It's total commitment in good times and in bad times. And in, but guys, it is a price, and it is a huge price, and it is a price you must consider whether you want to pay or not. And our culture has trained us that we should not be willing to pay that price. The culture has trained us, and we're all in this culture, so we're getting these messages constantly. So that's why I'm saying this is not simple. It's not just like, okay, gee, we can just walk in here and do this. No, the culture is saying a lot to us. See, this, this, the culture is saying the idea of committing yourself to another human being for the rest of your life is too confining and too permanent. I'll go back to what I said. Marriage is to be an empathic union where the needs of one person are being felt by the other. See? I don't expect Rebecca to be my unofficial tour guide on my personal journey towards self-actualization. <laughs> I've been married long enough to know that would be disastrous. <laughs> Nor, I mean, am I her tour guide on her journey to discover her true self? Because if we were, here's what would happen. What happens there when, when we're living this kind of a life is as soon as a child comes along, it's like a speed bump, and all of a sudden it, you're going at it at a high speed and it rattles everything. It interrupts your journey. I tell you, when you get a kid, like my oldest from the first one, it, it, it interrupts everything. But, but if you're in a marriage like that, what, what happens is you'll find that your journey towards self-actualization can't continue 
and then things will begin to crumble. You'll begin to melt down emotionally because this kid has rocked your world and you can't do what you used to do to make you feel good about yourself. When economic challenges hit, and they will hit, when they hit your family, then it begins to cause blaming of one person to the other person and, and it can cause a marriage to crumble. I've seen marriages crumble through economic challenges in the family. Uh, even worse, I mean, when, when deception or, or sin or I'm not, even infidelity enters into the relationship, then everything begins to fall apart. So why do those speed bumps of life fracture and sometimes destroy marriages? It's because your journey towards self-actualization has been thwarted and nobody told you this was going to happen. And your marriage is actually built upon your desire for your own needs to be met, but it's really not built upon love. And that's my challenge to you, okay? See him smiling? See him smiling? Okay, now. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Jump in there. This is good. This is really good. Because that is what the sociologists have said. Got it? That's what the world is saying. Which is kind of pretty cool. Now let me back it up with what the scriptures say. Let's dive in. Because Paul says this. This is in Ephesians 5.25. He gives us a challenge, and it's given to us today, to adopt a different belief system about marriage. And the solution begins here. Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives. Love your wife, husbands, just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Now let's pause right there. This is the main scripture. There's plenty in that chapter about family and marriage. You should read the whole chapter. But Jesus loves us, the church. We're, we're his bride. Here's what's cool. And I, I preach this practically every Sunday. Jesus loves you and loves us unconditionally and sacrificially. Isn't that a wonderful? That love is that term agape. Love is, this is a love of choice. It's not a romantic love. Now, I'm all into romantic love. I like that. But there are, there's a parallel love that actually must be the more powerful love that operates in marriage, and that's a agape love, and it is a love of choice, not based upon the emotions that you have. And that's what God says to do. That's what Paul's saying to do, where husbands are supposed to agape their wives as God does to the church. So regardless of how we act or behave, regardless of our mistakes and flaws and failures, God still loves us, and you know that's really good news. But, but God says this is the model for marriage, and it's up to the man to take the lead on it. Guys, love your wives this way. There are no exceptions and the neat thing is, is you can start today. It's like, well, I've not been doing this. Well, yesterday, the sun went down on yesterday. I watched the sun rise this morning over the city. New day is here. Start it off today. <laughs> so, hey, listen, there's hope for your marriage. Beginning today, you can break out. I don't care where you are in your marriage. You can break out of attitudes of codependency regarding your partner. It, it's a lie when we begin to to say this, well, I have to have this partner, this person, so I can feel or I can do or whatever. That's codependency, and you can begin to break out of that today. Today can be the day of destiny-altering change. 
you're not married, which is actually the majority of our congregation, here's some good news. There is hope for your future marriage. I don't want to set you up on a good foundation so that you can get into that and do it well. What I'm sharing with you today actually can be some of the best advice of your life. There is hope for your future marriage. On July 30th, 1988, in San Antonio, Texas, at El Sendero de la Cruz Church, Iglesia, I held Rebecca Ruth Guajardo's hand. I gazed into her eyes, and I spoke these words. I said, I, Tim, take you, Rebecca, to be my wedded wife. And I'm telling you, I was smiling big. I've seen the video on it. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, we always like that, but also for worse. For richer, but also for poorer. In sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death, till death, till death. We didn't say it like that in the ceremony. Well, kind of creepy to do that, but I'm doing it for emphasis today. Till death do us part. According to God's holy ordinance, I pledge you my love. And she did the same back to me. And then she took my name. Now, I'm telling you, I meant those words that I said 29 years ago. Those are the words of my covenant to Rebecca. But those, my friend, are words of self-sacrifice, not cute verbiage to make a marriage ceremony look cool. See, that's why I have to say that marriage is really built upon sacrificial love. It must be that way. And that sacrificial love, there are a lot of different ways that works out. I listed three of them. One is, is it's long-term. It's not about the pleasure of the moment. It's, it's, it's actually about consistent respect for one another. It's, it's giving uh, that, uh, that respects, that, that, that's just going to respect that other person day after day after day. It's long-term. It's year by year. It's day by day until you die. Also, that sacrificial love is shown through generational thinking. This is important um, because sacrificial love requires this, which means that a couple will consider the unique impact that the, either the success or the failure of their relationship will have upon their next generation. This is actually love for your children. It's about a passion for legacy. And there's a third area, and, and I just don't know how to better say it, except it's just loving when it's hard. It's about loving the other person, and even when it's not, he, not, not easy, and it's loving when things are difficult. And I want you to know, without a doubt, marriage is always a work in progress. Marriage is always hard work. Not just in the first few months, but through the entire length of the marriage. Because marriage is about sacrificial love constantly. Watching Olga, my mother-in-law, begin to slip away into eternity, I've also been witnessing 
broken heart of, 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 uh, of my father-in-law, Mario. Especially when he's at her bedside. Rebecca sent me these pictures late last night. This is a couple who have, they've, they've weathered storms together since they were 20 years old, and I've heard about their storms. These guys have sacrificed for each other. They've loved for each other when each other wasn't lovable. <laughs> they've cared for each other. When sometimes it just didn't feel like it. Because they're my in-laws, I know them. And they've built a marriage that has lasted. And they've unlocked the secrets to a long marriage, which are really very simple. And one of those secrets that they've unlocked to a long-term marriage is what I call adapt and adjust. My parents would say the same thing. I mean, these two words actually tell you how to do longevity in your marriage. Adaptability, basically it's this. It is, it's having the knowledge and the willingness to accommodate new conditions that arrive in your life and in your family. Adaptability has to do with, with accepting the fact that something has changed and then you modify behavior in accordance with the major changes that life is about to bring you. You just, you're going to have to change the way you do things. Things will not be the same as they were before a major change has happened. Adapt is the big one. And then there's the other one, and it's called adjust. Adjustment is different than adapting because it has to do with little tiny slight alterations that you're constantly doing for the good of the relationships. It's where you, you make these adjustments on a day-to-day -day basis. You willingly accept that you're going to have to adjust, uh, never holding it over your partner's head. You just simply do it first. So adapting and adjusting is a never-ending process, and it is actually a key to a long-term relationship. Unfortunately, today, the culture actually has a problem with adapt and adjust because, it, it, because the culture has a problem with love and commitment. See, we want to fall in love, but we're unwilling to commit for the long term. We want romantic love without the commitment. We want partnership involvement without the commitment. We want the benefits of sex security and children without the sacrifice, so we put conditions based upon the unrealistic expectations of Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram and the culture, you know? And when, not if, but when those expectations go unmet and speed bumps happen in your life, you grumble, we hold back love, or worse, we walk. And this is because we've been modified to be short-term thinkers. And that's just really what I'm challenging us to change the way we believe. See, we've been seeking uh, immediate rewards, avoiding long-term commitments in relationships pretty much of any kind. But that's not what marriage is about. Marriage is not a short-term proposition. It's not designed for instant and perpetual gratification. It's about thinking generationally. It's about thinking about legacy. So, so the, the rules for marriage haven't changed regardless of what the culture is telling us. And God's model for marriage, it's valid. And this ancient system works. The model for a successful marriage is not out of date. The, this, this, this formula hasn't changed since Jesus advised husbands and wives in his own ministry to become so 
totally committed to each other that in his words that they are no longer two but one flesh think about this jesus made it clear that a successful marriage cannot be about selfishness instead it's about something completely different it's when two people become one and that's when this 2000 year old formula takes charge and it works i'm telling you guys it works but anything less is a prescription for some type of disaster no matter what the culture is telling you see when you're one you can and you will adapt and adjust for a long marriage uh with rebecca and me it's again it's, it's about that empathic love her pain is my pain her tears are my tears when she's weak i feel that but I choose to be strong. When I'm weak, she feels that, and she chooses to be strong for me. So basically, Jesus gives us these secrets to a long marriage, and this is it right here. I want you to grab this. It's selflessness, binding together, growing together, meeting needs. Those are the big ones right there. See, it's not about, first of all, it's not about selfishness. Get these down, guys. It's not about selfishness. It's about selflessness. It's, it's not about finding yourself. It's about binding yourselves to each other. And then you have to grow. If you don't grow together, you're going to grow apart because growing apart is automatic. It will happen if you don't grow together. See, growing together is a choice. It does take hard work it demands discipline and commitment but but true love true love is always willing to do that so secrets for a long marriage selflessness binding yourselves growing together and finally meeting needs because all relationships are based upon needs anyway and when we focus on meeting one another's needs and uh, th then then what, what that actually begins to do is that protects us from selfishness see selfishness is a sign of immaturity which is a failure to accept responsibility for our lives we're really we don't even want to accept responsibility for anyone else other than ourselves and marriage is i'm going to accept responsibility for my wife that's a, what's what we have to do that's why i say marriage is this empathic union empathy is my willingness to open myself up to the feelings and the needs of the woman I love and to make her needs my own needs even though I may not understand them. Hey, if there's tension in your marriage, I just want to say today, there's, there's hope for your marriage. You can simply act on what you're hearing today because this is God's word and you simply can walk out of here choosing a new route. So, so, so listen, stop trying to fix your husband, ladies. Stop trying to fix your wife. It's not going to work. You've been dinkering for years. It's not going to happen, okay? Let God do it. He'll do a whole lot better than you ever will. Instead, take some personal action today and have faith that God can do something incredible in you and, and simply don't give up on that growth in yourself. If you're unmarried, you're here today, well, I'm, I just want to tell you, even if you're engaged, there is hope for your future marriage. Yeah, there are challenges, and, and marriage does take a lot of hard work, but come on, you're up for it, right? But if you or your future spouse, this is important to hear, if you're now realizing that you're getting married for the wrong reasons, hear me well, 
love yourself and love that other person enough to slow it down or to simply say no. It's okay to be single. Really, it comes back to being taking you know, responsibility for our personal choices. It's about making informed decisions that can radically alter your world. It's not about carrying shame from the mistakes that you've made or from your, even possibly your own selfish ambition that has damaged former relationships or even current relationships. See, this is about God being in you. God in you. Bringing about long-term change in your own heart and in your own mind, which is what I'm preaching about in my Craving Change series right now. And then basically what happens is you do this, and this, this change will begin to be felt within your marriage covenant. Change in you can begin right now. It can impact your legacy. Guys, that is huge. And that's what God wants for you anyway. He wants the best for you. That's what I want for you as your pastor. None of us have it all figured out, but we're hanging on to each other, holding on to each other, learning from each other's failures and, and strengths and weaknesses, and that's what a church does good because there's a lot to learn from each other. Please no movement at this time. I want us to pray for a moment. I'd like for you just to close your eyes and focus internally as I pray a prayer of blessing over you. God, I pray a blessing over every man and every woman in this room. I pray, God, that you will birth in our hearts a passion for selfless, sacrificial love, not based upon feelings and emotions day in and day out, but a love of choice and commitment that's going to withstand the storms of time and the challenges of life. God, give us the wisdom to get our eyes off ourselves and to get our eyes onto our spouse and to go for that and pursue that empathic union that we really, really crave in our lives and in our families and in our homes. While you have your eyes closed, in reverence and respect of this moment, I'd, uh, I want to pray for something different. Maybe you're here today. You've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Possibly over the course of your life, you've drifted from your relationship with God, and you're here today saying, you know, Pastor, I, I actually want Jesus in my life. I want this new beginning. I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to plunge in and embrace my God-given purpose through Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And if you'd like to be included in the closing prayer, uh, and, and if you'd like to surrender your life completely to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand at the count of three. Because faith is when we respond outwardly to what's happening inwardly. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine, and everything changes today. If you want Jesus... You're ready to give your life to him. Lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up for me so I can see it. Lift it up so I can see it. We will pray together. Pastor, that's me. I'm ready. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Lift your hand for me. Great. I want everyone to stand. Everyone, please stand. And if you raised your hand, I want you, along with everyone else in this room, 
before we close, to pray these words with me. All right? Will you all please pray these words with me? Pray it with me. Come on, come on, say it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sin. Today I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for new hope. In Jesus' name, amen. able to continue making Jesus known for the consistent investments of many. If you would like to invest financially into the vision, you can do so at citylifecenter.org. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.